All right, well, we are over in Acts chapter 15 at long last. With all the fun things going on with the weather, it has been tough having midweek service, but no such uh, trouble today. I see tomorrow's going to be even warmer, huh? That's going to be good. Acts chapter 15. We're looking at councils and decrees today. That a council has met and decrees are issued. All because of what happens here in the beginning of the chapter. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, who are these men? Certain men. Their names are unimportant. As are they. But they're certain ones because they started something. But we never find out really who these guys are. We know a lot of other people that show up in the, word, in the, in the book of Acts. People show up and we get identified, but not these guys. Just certain men. That's all we know about them. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they came out from the church of Jerusalem, so they probably felt like they had the authority of Jerusalem and probably did have the authority of Jerusalem. Who's in charge of the church of Jerusalem? That would be incorrect. It would be James, yes. Uh, Peter is there, but Peter's kind of wandering around a little bit. But James is the guy who actually takes over the headship of, uh, of Jerusalem. And you'll find that in this chapter. You're going to see James is at, at the head of it. But Peter is also a, a good one. He's, he's kind of the... I'm not really sure why Peter's not head of the church of Jerusalem. But, but James has that. I guess Peter's kind of busy being head of the whole church. So <laughs> that must be what it is. <laughs> he's kind of got his hands in all sorts of stuff. And he never stops being significant. He's much more significant than James. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, Antioch is sending them back to Jerusalem to go over this question. Does Antioch care what Jerusalem thinks about this? Truthfully, no. Antioch is their own church. They are their own authority. Paul comes out of Antioch. He makes it very clear. I am out of Antioch. I am not out of those guys in Jerusalem. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they're about. I am of this. And, uh, you know, you can kind of see the wall that's there. So you have two, uh, two growing churches or, or two. Um, Antioch really is the only church that's growing. Jerusalem is not really in the, in the growth stage. As people are added to it. They're kind of dispersed at the same time. And um, Antioch is the one that's more of the free church. Um, Jerusalem has lost a number of people to Antioch. They have sent people out there and they don't come back. Barnabas was one of them that we know of. Uh, that Barnabas was a big guy in Jerusalem. He was very influential. He's, uh, he helped out with a lot of things there. And they, he went off to Antioch on a missionary trip. And that's it. He don't come back. They, he likes Antioch better, I guess. You know, they're going up there and a little better, a uh, little more free. Not quite as much into the law. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Again, we don't told, told the names. They're just them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversions of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Now it just says that certain ones went, and um, Titus is apparently among those number. We don't find that out in Acts. We find that out when Paul talks about the story in Galatians. Uh, verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who, be who believed, 
rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. Now, um, this is what the dispute is. And basically, if you want to know how this relates to today, what do you do with newcomers? What do you do with people that are newborn into the church? What kind of laws should we put on them? We were kind of touching on this a little bit on Sunday, too. And uh, we'll see it more in depth here. But uh, this is still a question we hit a lot of times. I mean, what kind of things should you do? Should you let people come into church dressed any old way they want to? Are there limits? And, you know, we don't find them in the Word of God, but would you have limits? <laughs> do you want to see um, uh, a woman showing up with skirts of a certain length? Too short, too long? Uh, these are questions that do come up, and these are things that, that happen. What kind of dancing is appropriate in church? I have been in churches where that should have been a question. <laughs> and it, uh, that wasn't. Is it, a mat- is it an important matter if people color their hair purple? Or blue. Uh, earrings we've kind of gotten uh, okay with, uh, but what about nose piercings? Uh, and uh, what about those things that make your ears real big? I, forget, I don't even what they're called. Uh, those, uh, I, I, what are they? Gauges. Gauge. Yeah, those. I think they're ugly as anything, but some people people like them. Should you make laws about that? And if we don't make laws about that for people who are coming into the church, do we make laws about that if they're going to be ushers? <laughs> So, you see, these are not idle questions. We can just discount this and just say, well, you know, of course, they shouldn't be in the law. But this is what was important to them in their culture and their day. What is important to us? And are we putting things on non-Christians that is right? Or are we putting things on them that are wrong? And so they are important questions. It's, it's not like we just toss this whole thing out and say, well, they shouldn't put anything on them and, and that's it. Um, because we realize that there ought to be something. I mean, what would happen if, if somebody came into church with a flask? And don't think that don't happen. Do not think that doesn't happen. I have never brought a flask into church, but I know that people have. Uh, my sister was in church one time with her, young, her oldest, and he was teething at the time. She was in a, it was a full, I mean, this church, this church made, they brought black people to this church to set them free. That's the kind of church this was. This was one, and it was primarily a white church, but they, oh man, these folks, they could dance. They knew how to be free in church. They were, I used to have a ball going up there and visiting that church. They unfortunately did not make the church with the type of worship they did in mind because when the church would get going, and now I'm talking about, you know, a few people, everybody was dancing. If you were in the basement, you were scared. Things are shaking. Things look like they're coming down off the ceiling. I mean, that place was, they did not reinforce that. They, they made the floor to hold 300, 400 people, but not 300, 400 people going up and down. And so that was, <laughs> that was something. It was a very unique church. They had a lot of good things going. They had their problems too, but I'll tell you what, they had a lot of, a lot of good things going on there. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was real good. But uh, my sister was in the back in the uh, area trying to calm down her child who was teething. And so uh, one of the, uh, brothers in the church came on back and saw her problem, pulled out of his pocket a flask and said, rub some of this stuff on. And they rubbed some of that little whiskey on his gums and sure enough, quieted him right down. They should cut back into church and <laughs> he was good to go. So, um, you know, what kind of things, <laughs> what kind of things do you do <laughs> in church 
it's kind of important for you to know that there are going to be some rules that you're going to have. And uh, <laughs> it's just, I mean, what kind of songs are okay to sing? Uh, we don't really have that issue here, but there are churches that bring secular songs into the worship service. I've been shocked when I've heard of some of the ones that have done it. Some of the people I know pretty well have brought, I mean, pure, pure out secular service, secular songs into the service. Because people can relate to them. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Uh, full gospel charismatic churches who have kicked speaking in tongues out of the service. Because it offends some people. So, you know, we, we are making rules. Are we making the right rules? Are we doing the right thing? Do, do, do we like it when ushers greet us and they're in a, in a tie and in a suit? Or is it okay if they're in Bermuda shorts and sandals? So these are, are things that go on, and, um, yeah, we kind of need to we've, – we've worked on some of them, and every church is a little bit different on this. But anyway, this is the one that's coming up for them. What do we do with the Gentiles? Because the, the church started out in the Jewish area. All the Jewish people are circumcised. If you come to the temple, you need to be circumcised. So they took care of that. Uh, but now we've got all these other people coming on in. They aren't. And uh, how Jewish do we need to make them? Is basically what they're they're asking. And, uh, how, how much of Gentile can they be, and how much of Jew do they need to be? So this is where where it is. So the Pharisees, there were some Pharisees who who turned around, they became believers, uh, but of course they still have a lot of the the law. That's kind of their job. <laughs> so uh, they have that going on. And Titus, as we said, went with Paul. Titus is a Gentile, and he is not circumcised. And he's one of the ones that they brought down. Verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And when there had been much dispute, well, you can see that, because we could have a whole lot of dispute just uh, you know, what kind of things we should let people, let people do. Uh, should we have a smoking section in the back of the church? <laughs> well, not everybody is free from smoking, right? So should we, should we have that? Should we have a ministry to, to smokers and, and uh, have that going on? Uh, if you have a ministry to bikers, well, bikers generally come in to dress the way bikers are dressed. And they got tattoos all over their body, and they have uh, uh, bandanas, I guess, and just uh, other things. Is this okay? Are we okay with that? And so these are, are things that are going to push you, and this is what's pushing them. So they came together and considered. There's a bunch of dispute. They're going back and forth. And as you can tell, even with, with us here, you can have some very strong views on the subject, even though the Bible hasn't said a word. I mean, no, that's true. <laughs> you can get some real strong views on the, on the subject. So Peter rose up and said to them, Peter is, uh, tell you, anymore you just like it when Peter rises up and says stuff. <laughs> you may not have liked it before, but anymore you just like it when Peter rises up and says stuff. He just seems to have some... Some uh, good stuff about him. Uh, James is missing some aspects of things. But Peter, he just seems to be right on. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He'd already came by and we already went through all that. He came and reported all that had gone on. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. In other words, circumcised or not, Gentile or Jew, he didn't make any distinction. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, 
which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Well, that's basically it. I mean, guys, we couldn't do it. Why are we going to put it on them? Peter, you just, like I said, you doesn't like it when he opens his mouth anymore. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, Peter had come to a place that when he opens his mouth, it moves things. People listened when Peter spoke, and it had a lot of weight. And so what he said had a lot of weight, and the people considered it. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they told about their trip, about all the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles, the miracles, the moving of the Spirit that had gone on. And you can't contend, I mean, you, you can't question it. If God moves, then God moves. So they, uh, they addressed the council. They, they listened to the things that they were saying. Now here, it's usually, he's already made the switch. It's usually Paul and Barnabas. But notice we switch back. Why do you think that is? Because Barnabas is more respected at Jerusalem than Paul. Paul was never really a part of the church of Jerusalem. And his brief time there, they wanted to kill him. <laughs> Barnabas, they loved. <laughs> so it's Barnabas and Paul. So Barnabas is probably the guy who's out in the front talking because they'll hear it better from him than they would from Paul. And they both saw the same thing, so there's no real problem with him being the one who addresses it. And after they had become silent, that's sometimes a good thing, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Well, he's the guy who's head of the church of Jerusalem. So he calls for their attention. He's listened to everybody. That's a good thing that you should do if you're the head. You know, listen to all the things that have gone on. And at the end, you've got to make, kind of make a declaration or a, a, a bring the thing to an end. And so he lets everybody else speak and have the peace, listens. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild in ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who, who does all these things. He is quoting from Amos here. Uh, just a little bit different. Again, he's changed just a, a little bit, broadening out to more of all mankind. But the tabernacle of David is a type of the church. The tabernacle, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the ark, and the, when they built the temple, and they would have the um, Holy of Holies and so forth, you only went in there once a year. The ark was only approached on an occasion uh, for, for, for sacrifice, and you didn't do that all the time. But the tabernacle of David, 24-7 worship is going on. David hired people to be worshipers around the tabernacle. When they would bring the tabernacle out, it was men, women, Priest, non-priest, Levite, no matter what tribe you're from, all tribes, all people, all races. If you were a convert from another nation, you were there. It did not matter. There was no discrepancy of any of that. But if you wanted into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, who was to go in there? Only the, the high priest and only the Levites were to be the service in the, in the tabernacle, the, the temple itself. So the temple was more of a restricted thing, which was an Old Testament uh, symbol. The tabernacle of David was a type of the church in which all people would come to God at any time, day or night. Man, woman, Gentile, Jew, 
basically all that, that's what it is. And so when James is bringing this in, he is understanding this, that the tabernacle of David is a type of the church. And so he brings that aspect of this, of this in. Where do we leave off at? Known to God for, yeah, verse 19, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. It would have been wonderful if it ended with a period. James would have done a great job if he just would have said, that's just not trouble. Therefore I judge, now who judged? James did. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But he is saying that he is making the judgment. Therefore, I judge. He's not saying that the Holy Spirit has shown me. He's not saying that God inspires me. He's saying that I judge. And he has to, as the leader of that, he's, sometimes you guys got to make a judgment. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. All right, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, abstain from meat, sacrifice to idols. So what happens in this is that all these Gentile cities, you had pagan temples. In the pagan temples, they brought sacrifice. They brought the best of the meat to the sacrifice, and they would take the, the meat that was sacrificed, the animals that were sacrificed, and they would take the meat from that, and on the other side of the temple, there would be a restaurant. <laughs> Basically, the best of the restaurants were, were associated with the temple of whatever goddess or god or they had there. And they would bring the best of that meat out there. So if you wanted to go to a five-star restaurant, uh, that's where you went. If you wanted to go to a McDonald's and you go to the other places, you know, they had the other junk. But if you wanted the good meat, this is where it was. And so you came on in there, and that's where you were going to, uh, to eat. You didn't have to go into the temple and participate in all that. But here's the, the meat. It was brought out here, and then uh, you had that. So that's how this was set up in all the cities. So they know this is going on. So when they say don't eat things polluted by idols, they're saying don't eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Is what they're saying. That's the first thing they put on them. Second one, abstain from sexual immorality. Third, abstain from things strangled. And third, uh, fourth, from blood. In other words, don't drink blood. I don't know why people want to drink blood. There's people out there today who want to do it. I guess they have a vampire fix or something like that on... Don't know what it is. Uh, I have no desire to drink blood, but apparently in the Gentile cities, this was done. And so this is the things that they did. Now, let's go back over these things. Does the Word of God say anything about eating meat sacrificed idols? It does, but it does not give you an order. Daniel was one of the first ones we saw. He did not want to participate in it, but the Word of God did not give him that order. It's something that he decided to do. Paul te taught, teaches about it. And in his teaching on it, he basically says, um, uh, you know, if you're weak, well, then you, uh, you, you don't eat meat because you're not sure where it came from. You just eat vegetables. He doesn't teach them not to. He says, basically, don't ask where it came from and eat it. But if you've got some people around that might be offended because you're eating meat sacrificed to idols, then, you know, just abstain. But he's not telling them, don't do it. And this is after this decree. That teaching that he did was after this decree by James. So the first thing, abstain from things polluted by idols. We don't really have direct thing, uh, anything from, from the Word of God teaching us, do not do this. Does the Word of God teach us about sexual morality? Absolutely it does. It says, don't do it. 
Does it talk about not eating things strangled? No, I don't remember that one either. That's, that's not in there. The Bible does not care about whether you strangled, killed, shot, or whatever it is that you did. If, if it's dead, it's just, as long as it's dead, you know, we're okay with that. And from blood. Now, the Bible does say, you know, don't eat the meat when the blood's in it. Drain the blood out of it. But that's about all that it says about the blood. So what you got here is that he makes a list of four things, only one of which is in the Word of God. Where do the other three things come from? Their culture, their beliefs, their, what, what they see as, as, as good. If you, like in this, this country, if you were to go out and drink coffee, would that be a problem? You could drink coffee. We have, have coffee shops and churches. But I've, I'm told anyway, I've never been there. Uh, but I'm told over in Europe that in some places that if uh, Christians drink coffee, it's the same thing as drinking whiskey over here. It's looked down upon. I don't know why that is. I don't know. This is a, a cultural thing. I've been told it. Again, I didn't see it. I haven't been over there. I've never been overseas in that direction. Um, but that's what I've been told, that it's, uh, it's just a cultural thing. They don't think that uh, coffee is, is good. I guess they like tea, okay, but coffee is not, um, it's not an acceptable beverage. So he's given them these four things, but these things really come out of their culture more than they come out of, any, uh, come out of the Word of God. I put this in your outline for you. Uh, basically, these rules will help you from offending Jews in any place Gentiles are. That's really all these things are doing. He's given them four rules to help the Gentiles not offend the Jews that are in their neighborhood. Does that sound good? Does that sound like something you should put on new Christians? Don't offend the old Christians. No, it should be the older Christians that should be able to handle the offense better than the new. It should be the older Christians who are trying to make sure that we don't do things that offend them, as Paul was teaching. That, that, that they would uh, that would confuse them. But James has got this flipped around. We want to make sure that you don't take the older ones that have been walking in the way longer. Don't, don't make it hard for them. <laughs> that seems funny, doesn't it? This is the head of the church in Jerusalem who's making this decree. Who's putting this thing out there. It's in the Word of God, isn't it? Anything in the Word, anything in this chapter so far condemn this? No, not at all. That's why you've got to know what the Word of God is. You've got to know what's right and what's wrong and, uh, and judge based on that thing. So, four things that he put upon them. He says in verse 21, from Moses has had throughout many generations those who preached, preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So there's a whole lot of Jews out there. They're in synagogues. Moses is being read. The law is being read. We want to make sure we don't create a problem here. So uh, uh, just don't do these, these things. I think if you're going to put four things out there, all right, sexual morality is fine. Uh, you can put that, that in there. But I, that, there ought to be some other stuff. How about don't worship the idol? You know, that to me would be a better thing. Don't worship the idol and God. That, I could see that being in the decree, not don't eat the meat sacrifice to the idols. That's, um, that that uh, is just not quite there. What if they wanted to bring in their pagan practices of sacrifice? Well, we no longer sacrifice bulls and goats. Bulls and goats. That's uh, kind of done away with. All right, that might be a thing to put in the decree. But we don't... Uh, we don't do that. Again, it's the culture. He's looking at the culture of, of what's there, and he wants to make sure that the Jews are not offended. I put in your outline this, too. It has nothing to do with offending God. There is nothing in this list about what offends God. 
That should have been the concern. What was the concern was the Jews were not offended. Verse 22, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church. Mention anything about God? Nope. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. This is how Silas got teamed up with the team with Paul. So Silas is one of the prominent ones in Jerusalem, and they send him with the group to go on out to Antioch. When they get back to Antioch and they make this presentation and Paul and Barnabas get ready for their second missionary journey, they have a dispute about John Mark and decide not to take John Mark. Paul does, but Barnabas wants to. So Paul goes on his own, and who does he take with him? (laughs) Jerusalem lost another one. (laughs) They lost Barnabas. They lost John Mark. Because I guess he went over to Jerusalem for a bit, but then he's back over here in Antioch because uh, Barnabas is going to take him and and head him out. And Silas, one of their their good ones, and Paul takes good people. You've got to know, Silas was a good guy. And Paul says, you know what? You could team up with me. He says, yeah, I think I'd rather do that than be going back to that old church over there in Jerusalem. Those guys are so stuck up on the law and <laughs> whatever it might be. Uh, so Silas decides, wow, you guys really have church out here. I mean, there, there's no mention of the law. that We don't have to worry about uh, all this other stuff. You guys just have church. This is good. He likes it. And so he didn't go back. But apparently that happened quite a bit. And this would cause tension. I mean, if you were in Jerusalem and, and you were losing some people to persecution, other people because they like Antioch better, that could have a play on you. So anyway. Uh, these are some of the ones that they sent back. So they sent back these guys to go on, on and to, to do this. Now, do we know anything about Paul's opinion on this decree? No. Now, Paul's not involved in making the decree. It's James. It's some of the uh, elders of the church of Jerusalem. It's not Paul. Paul is not involved in the church of Jerusalem. They came back to Jerusalem to get, I guess, their stamp of approval on it so they don't keep sending people out to Antioch to try and mess with the doctrines out there. Trying to get this thing uh, together. Verse 23. They wrote this letter by them. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Now, of these two, we've got two groups here. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren. Where are they from? Jerusalem. Right. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Which one is Paul in? He's in the second one. He's in the second group. Which one is Barnabas in? He was in the first group. Where is he now? He's in the second group. He's no longer in Jerusalem. <laughs> he left. He's been, on, uh, he's been over here in Antioch. So they're writing the letter to them. They are, this is not their letter. And they are sending their own people from Jerusalem to read it. Paul is not reading it. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Well, that's kind of nice to know that they didn't come with the sanction of of James and the church of Jerusalem there. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. They're not 
of the chosen ones they sent, they are sending the chosen ones with them. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now, we look at this, and they're not just sending Paul and Barnabas, because Paul and Barnabas, who are of Antioch, would not have as credible of a report as people who are from Jerusalem. So the people who were given a problem up there, when they see Silas and they see uh, the, these guys, these prominent ones who came from Jerusalem, they know they're prominent ones. They are of the, the in-group, so to speak. They're the ones coming. They're the ones reading the decree. They know it's real. Paul's not reading the decree. But look at verse 28 again. For it seemed good to who? This is the first time we had him mentioned, isn't it? How is it that James, head of the church, born again, spirit-filled, can attribute his own judgment to the Holy Spirit. When nowhere was there any time of prayer given or mentioned, if it was, or time seeking after God what to do. All we had that they did was they disputed, they discussed, they shared among themselves. And James came out and he said, this is my judgment. Which is fine to do. He's the head of the church. But now all of a sudden his judgment becomes... The Holy Spirit. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Just because people, prominent people, say something is of the Holy Spirit, you still got to check it out. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these, what? Huh. How are they necessary? <laughs> what are they necessary for? <laughs> yeah, that's is, is, is not eating meat sacrificed to idols necessary for salvation? Is sexual purity necessary for salvation? No. no. <laughs> That's all right. I knew you meant. <laughs> it is not. Sexual immoral people can go to heaven. They just have a rougher time down here. That's all. You're taking long extra baggage while you're carrying around the, the things down here. And he, God would rather spare you from that sort of stuff. But, uh, but you can still get into heaven. That's not, what do you have to do to get to heaven? Except Jesus. Jesus. Yep. Make him Lord of your life. Well, if he's Lord of your life, you wouldn't be sexual and immoral. That's right. Thank God we all don't have to be perfect in that area of making him Lord in our life to get to heaven. We're on a path to make him Lord of our life. That's what God wants. Uh, things strangled, that's not even in the Word of God. And from sexual immorality. Or from blood, from things strangled, and from at least they they put sexual morality at the end now. That was second before. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> if you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Now, can you see the backwardness of this? Does it make sense that this is this is not right? What they put on now, from here on out, does Paul ever preach these four things? Not one single time. Not a single time does he ever go out. And he's going out to the Gentile cities. He never one time preaches this thing, which tells you that Paul says, this is, this is garbage. But at least they didn't try and put more on him. He's kind of glad that at least they didn't try and throw circumcision and the law and all this other stuff on them. They, just, they narrowed it down to these four things, and it's not good, but 
<laughs> at least it's, uh, it's that much. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Well, again, we don't have the Holy Spirit was involved here at all. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul recounts this, that after 14 years that he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and, I, and also took Titus with me. This is this account. And I went by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So what it says is that Paul, first of all, took the leaders of the church and privately told them what was going on. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us in the bondage. In other words, the people came out and says, you need to do what the law says. You need to be circumcised. To whom we did not yield submission for even an hour, <laughs> that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. You see, he's putting distance between him and the people at Jerusalem. And a lot of that came out at this council. You see, when he recounts this, he's saying, I don't know who those folks were. They were, they were important to some people. They were not important to me. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. <laughs> and they didn't. But on the contrary, when we saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleships to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Now, you will notice that Paul has a respect for Peter, but not the others in Jerusalem. That would include James. I think it's interesting that Paul mentions by name those he agreed with and in generalities those he did not. He doesn't pull James out, rake him over the coals. For he who worked effectively, well, uh, verse 9, and when James, well, he does mention them there. I'm just going to say, he doesn't, he doesn't pick on them anyway. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So he's not picking on them just yet here. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. What? What did they desire? They said, don't eat food offered to idols, things strangled, blood, and sexual morality. What's he do? He, he, he changed a little bit, didn't he? He, he changed a little bit. When, he's, when, he, when he does mention them, he only, says the, when he says the one thing, you know, take care of the poor. We were going to do that anyway. Now, this is a part of the conversation apparently didn't get written down or it was not part of the decree. But that's the only part that Paul brings out. He leaves the rest of it off. Now, there is one time that this list is referred to in Scripture. Outside of this, there is one time that this list is referred to. And it's in Acts chapter 21 and verse 25. You don't have to turn there. We're not going to read it. You can read it later on if you want to. In this chapter is when Paul returns to Jerusalem because of all the, the stuff that's going on between Jerusalem and the Gentiles. And he goes on down there. And on his way down there, he has all the prophecies. You'll be bound. You'll be killed and all these different, different things. And he says, I'm willing to die. And, and so he goes on down there. And when he gets down there, they talk him into taking a vow of purity, a, a vow of purification. 
And so he goes through the thing of the vow of purification. And as they go through and talk him into this, they refer to the four things in the list. But Paul does not. Now, Paul goes along with it and does the vow of purification. Uh, I think it was a mistake on his part, but he did it. And um, anyway, riot ensued and all kinds of uh, other things happened. Romans chapter 14. Flip over there if you would. We referred to this earlier. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. What kind of doubtful things are there? Things that are not listed in Scripture, such as meat offered idols, strangled food, eating or drinking of blood. Those are doubtful things. Is sexual morality a doubtful thing? No, the Word of God speaks directly to it. For one believes he may eat all things. goes right into the eating, which is really what the other three things were in the list. But he who is weak eats only vegetables. That's my refrigerator verse right there. <laughs> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. We've got to remember that sometimes. A lot of times we go around we judge other people's servants. I've relayed this story to you before, but Brother Hagin had that uh, one incident where he was uh, around a group of ministers, and they were talking about a minister who fell. And they told some of the things, and they asked his opinion on it. And he says, well, yeah, I guess if he did those things, that's, uh, that's wrong. And he went on, and, and the Lord rebuked him. I don't know why he didn't rebuke the other ones, but uh, maybe they just weren't listening. And who knows? But the Lord rebuked him. And he says, how dare you talk about my servant that way? And he says, well, I didn't say anything about him. I just was listening to the guy said some things. And I just said, well, if he did that, then he says, you don't know what he was going through. You don't know what he faced. And you don't know that if you yourself were in that situation, you wouldn't have done worse. He says, do not judge my servant. And he said, okay. And he didn't do it again. <laughs> he did not do it again. You got to be careful of judging uh, the servants of God. Be, be careful on it. Uh, Brother Hagin would teach us when we were in school there. He said, uh, other ministers will rise and fall. He says, you have nothing to do with their fall. That's a good idea. Let God take care of his own servants. Have David's view about Saul. What did they say? You know, should, should David, you should take him this now. No, he's God's servant. God will God'll take him out. He'll die in battle. Something like that. But uh, no, I'm not going to lift my hand against it. That's an idea that we ought to, to have more. And that's what he says here. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes a day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. Romans is written long after all of this is done. Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to raise funds to go to some places that he had not gone to yet. He had already done three missionary trips. He wrote this letter to try and get some money from the, the Romans, but they had heard all sorts of things about Paul. And so Paul wrote the book of Romans to basically explain his stand on things. He writes this long after the decree that they had made 
And basically what he is saying is this. That decree is junk. Now look at it. If you, if you decide that you want to drink blood, what is according to this teaching, what's Paul saying? It's up to you. Go ahead, drink it. <laughs> if you want to eat food offered to idols, what's he saying? Yeah, go ahead. Go, go, go for it. If you want to eat food that was strangled, what's he saying? Go ahead. The only one he does not touch, sexual immorality. All he's dealing with is the eating things. But he never mentions those three things. He basically teaches all around it. And he gives people the opportunity to understand, I'm not putting any of that stuff on you. That's the church of Jerusalem. He's not going to say this, but that's the church of Jerusalem. That's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he very casually dismisses all that stuff. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. (laughs) Well, there was some encouragement in there. Now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. So they didn't just show up and just read. They apparently had other words, they said, and they encouraged the brethren on it. So they got there and the spirit of God came upon them and they began to say some things because they are prophets. So they, it's bringing it up because whatever they said operated in that ministry. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So all the other ones went back except Silas. Silas said, you know, I'm going to stay here. And so they stayed there for a time. And then when they all came back to Jerusalem, where's Silas? Well, he decided to stay at Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch. That's not a surprise that they weren't going back to begin with. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So here we get to the end of of this. And I put this in your outline for you. Legalism, which we all are very familiar with. Legalism makes taboo what the people of that culture believe is bad or harmful. Legalism makes taboo what the people of that culture believe is bad or harmful. That's what you've got to be careful with legalism. There are some things that we as a society believe is bad. There are some things that the Word of God teaches is bad. We've got to make the, the difference between the two. If you do things that in the culture says is bad, you are going to hinder your witness to that culture. You are not going to hinder yourself to God. If you do things that are uh, offensive to God, now you're going to hurt your walk. And these are things you've got to be careful of. But legalism makes taboo what the culture, what the people of that culture believe is bad or harmful. So just, just be careful of legalism because sometimes we can get so bathed in it. Now that and we cut off in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul begins to talk about his episode with Peter when Peter fell into legalism. And he uh, was eating with the Gentiles until the, the Jews came over. And then he stopped eating with the Gentiles and ate only with the Jews. And Paul called him out in the open. And Peter, to his credit, said, yep, yeah, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it that way. He corrected himself and he, he got back to what he was supposed to do. Greg, you, Peter is just an outstanding example of uh, a leader in the church at that, that time. Even when he make him, made a mistake, he just uh, corrected it and, 
and went on. And that's just a great way to do it. That's why Paul had such a respect, I think, for, for Peter. And not so much for some of the others that were over there in Jerusalem. But the church in Jerusalem falls very strongly into legalism. A lot of this is the fault of James. James does not keep legalism out. If anything, James helps to bring it in. Why they lose a lot of people to Antioch, because Antioch has none of that legalism. And uh, a lot of times when people go out, they love the freedom that is there. And it's not over there in the church of Jerusalem. And why they probably uh, keep losing people to it. But we need to make sure that we understand what is, is legalism and what is the word of God. Because it's really easy for us to begin to legislate Christianity to people. All right, well, if you come on in here, uh, no foul language, no cigarettes, no alcohol. And I'll, we'll go through the whole list of things. Um, no secular music. And, and we have all these lists. Now, there are these things that will come about. If you go around and you cuss up a storm, if you go around and you uh, drink and get drunk, uh, if you go around and you um, uh, behave immorally, it is going to have an effect on your spiritual walk. Your word, the words of your mouth are life or death. Which ones are you going to speak? Now, you, the stronger you are as a Christian, you know the power of your words. So you become more careful with them. But a new believer doesn't know about the power of their words. The Word of God is not giving you freedom to say anything that you want. The Word of God is giving you freedom from legalism. You are not going to worship God through legalism. No one can legislate your Christianity. It's got to come from your heart. And that's when it's going to be genuine. And that's what uh, legalism doesn't do that. Legalism is just fine with dressing you from the outside in. But God wants to dress you from the inside out. You may hear Christians that, uh, that say some words. I hear some preachers who say some words in the pulpit that well, I would cringe if I said myself. And most people would not even bat an eyelash at them. But I just do. I just, I don't know if it's probably the way I was brought up. It's probably the way that I was, I was done. I cannot use certain words. I cannot even use them to refer to them that I can't say them. I just don't. It's just, it's not in me to do it. I, it's, it's, and I know it's, it's not something that's the, that's the word of God telling you. You know, because if I could tell you some of these things that I avoid, and you would say, huh, really? <laughs> and they're nothing to most people. But they are something to me. And so I refrain from doing it. But when I hear other preachers say these words from a pulpit, I don't get offended. That's them. It's not me. I'm not using that word. I'm not doing this thing in, in this way. I mean, there are some people who use, who use uh, the name of God in ways, Christians who use the name of God in ways that it would just, I would cringe if, I, if it came out of my mouth that way. I can't do it. They can and they're fine. I never one time will sit there and shake my fist at them or point my finger. Or Nope. That's legalism. Let God deal with them. It may be that God hasn't dealt with me. It may be my culture that has dealt with me and doesn't have me doing these things. And I can't, make, I can't push that onto them. I have to encourage them in the Word of God. And so we, we do these kind of things. And, um, you know, uh, uh, I mean, straight out cuss words. From the time I was young, I knew that to be wrong. Never said cuss words to this day. I mean, I'd have kids in high school baited me, tried to get me to say a cuss word. They just wouldn't hear me say one. If they could hear me say one, it would just give them such relief, and I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. No matter what it was, I could get, uh, we played hard, we played rough. I got hurt, 
They never heard a cuss word coming out of my mouth. Not one single time. I could call every friend I ever had up as a witness, and they would say, nope, never did. No, that's not a testament of how good of a Christian I was. <laughs> it's just I was taught that wasn't the, the right thing to do. My mom to this day tells me that because of the church she was in, she can't go to the movies. Cannot go. Now, I can go to the movies just fine. I go to the movies, and I just got, I wasn't in that church that she was in for as long as she was, and it just didn't uh, mess with me that way. But she was out, even recently, she says, you know, people, they like to go out to a movie, and they, but I, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't go. And she knows it's not necessarily in the Word of God. It's just something that she was brought up with and was instilled in her, and she doesn't do it. Doesn't try and teach anybody else that it's, that's not Christian or anything like that. It's just her. So we have to understand there's culture and there's word. If you push culture, you're pushing legalism. If you push word, you won't be. So be careful on it. Make sure that it's in the Word of God because here we have in the Word of God three things that are culture and one that's in the Word of God. And it's pushed and eventually made by the head of the church of Jerusalem as it's all in the Word of God. Holy Spirit told us to do this. But the last, last thing here in your outline, you cannot compromise law and grace. You cannot compromise law and grace. Compromise is not right. I get so irritated at politicians who always want to talk about we need to compromise. No, you don't. If there is a right way, then stay with the right way. How, why would, if you have a right way and you compromise with someone who has a wrong way, what way do you have? You have a wrong way. It's just a different wrong way. If there is a right way, there's a right way. If there is a wrong way, it's a wrong way. You cannot take a wrong way and a right way and compromise and come up with a better way. It just doesn't happen. You can't do it with Christianity. We can't take Christianity and God says, I am the way. Well, all right, we want to, have, we want to broaden that a little bit. No. He says, I am the way. He's very close on that. This, there's one way. One way. I'm the way. Any other way? It don't work. That's it. I mean, that's pretty close-minded right there. We, gotta, we, gotta, we are in a society of compromise. Everything is about compromise. And generally, the ones who do the most compromising are the ones who believe the Word of God. The ones who are called upon to do the most compromising are the ones who are leaning on the Word of God. It's not right. We're not necessarily to do that. You cannot compromise law and grace. If you compromise law and grace, you no longer have grace. You cannot compromise it. Grace cannot have any law mixed in, no matter how good the law sounds. What do you put on new believers? It's not quite as straightforward, is it? It's something we have to ponder and to, and to think about and to understand. Are we putting culture or are we putting the Word of God on them? And even if we don't have a law as far as the church is concerned, what about my attitude? If I see somebody new in the church, if I see somebody new as a believer, and they're involved in certain things, what is my attitude towards them? You get real, real, uh, real fun on this. If you get a homosexual person, and they come into church and they get saved, and they go back to the person they were living with, what would you do? What's important, that they grow as a Christian or that they leave their homosexual lifestyle. We have to understand that a lot of times people cannot overcome their sin until they grow as a Christian. And you have to be willing 
to let a person grow in a lifestyle that you know is not good. Truth be told, at least as far as I'm concerned anyway, that list of four things should not even have sexual morality on it. It should have nothing. He should have stopped that. We wish to put no troublesome things on you and left it at that. It's a good idea to stay out of sexual morality. It's a good idea to stay out of a lot of things. It's a good idea to stay out of deception. It's a good idea to, <laughs> to, to uh, study the word, find out what the truth is. It's a whole, it's a, there's a lot of harmful things that are out there. But sometimes we have focused in on certain ones to the exclusion of others. The most important thing is that a believer, a new believer, grows in the Word of God. As they grow in the Word of God, then we can, we can see some things change. So let me hit you with this one. What if a homosexual couple came into church, came down to the altar, got saved, and started to come out of church on a regular basis, sitting together? Still continuing on. Now, I'm not saying that they're acting homosexual. We don't have heterosexual people acting heterosexual in the church either. But if, if they did that, what would we do? What's important? Well, we don't accept the sin, but we accept the sinner. And we can still go on and, and talk about what's important in the Word of God. Our goal is to grow them up. Eventually, at some point, just like it is for all of us, we're going to make some decisions about sins that we're involved with. But whose job is it? To determine when that time is. That is God's job. It is not ours. Now God may be revealing some things. If you are have a, a place of authority over them. And God may be revealing some things. I've been dealing with them on this. And not moving. Go talk to them about it. And then you'll have that responsibility. To go talk to them about it. But we do have to be careful. We can't get to the place where we just allow anything. I understand. We can't, you, just, you, you can't do that. It can't be a, a, a deal that, hey, you can believe anything you want and do anything you want. Come on out. That's not the idea. The idea is they have to grow. <clears throat> so it's not quite as cut and dry of a situation. You really do have to listen to the Spirit of God on it because God wants people to be brought into the kingdom. Now, here's a real fun one for you. More fun, even more fun. We're going to have a real fun one. This one's in the Word of God. We're just giving you some that are, that are kind of just body. This one's in the Word of God. Paul comes into a certain city, and he teaches them about the Word of God. And all these people, most of the people that he's teaching, married at a young age. And they had wives, they had husbands. But their society taught them that in marriage, you had sex for children. And, out, and at the temple, you had sex for fun. They didn't mix the two. They were separate. And Paul came in and taught them, the Word of God says that the person you're married to is it. Now, how, if you were Paul, how would you leave that situation? Well, Paul left it in such a way that he did not demand that they stop doing that because they wrote to him later on. And they said, all right, we got some questions on this marriage thing because we were brought up differently. You didn't necessarily care if you loved the person that you were marrying because you had the temple. You head up to the temple, and they had temple prostitutes there, and just had a good old time. So, he's, so in the book of Second Corinthians, in chapter 7, 
Paul gets around to the matters is now concerning the things that you wrote to me about. Apparently, he left and wrote 1 Corinthians and didn't address it. But in 2 Corinthians, he addressed it because they, they were dealing with this. They were struggling with this. I'm, I'm not liking this idea of being a Christian and my wife, my husband, is it. I, I like that. So Paul wrote to him about that and dealt with some things in it. So you can go back there and take a look at, at some of the things that he, uh, he dealt with them on. But apparently he didn't feel the need to press that. He let them grow. Now, he did expect them to grow a little faster than they did. He's kind of disappointed at some of the growth that they had not progressed in. But um, anyway, you can read some of that things that are, that are in there. We have some situations around our country. We have some situations that it would be really easy for us to want to just make a law, and this is how it ought to be. But you do need to listen to the Spirit of God. And that there are some people that may come across our path whose lifestyle does not live up to what the Word of God says they should do. doesn't mean we should adopt their lifestyle. Uh, was it uh, today's reading I put up on Facebook uh, about um, uh, yesterday or today? I forget which one it was. Um, we are to be an example. I think it was today. We are to be an example about how we live to the, to the unsaved, by how we, we live among ourselves. We are to be an example. We are not to adopt their lifestyle so that they feel more comfortable. But we don't have to go around and condemning them either. So, fun issue, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you give us wisdom as we deal with people that are caught up in sin, caught up with foul mouths and foul lifestyles and just doing things that are against your word. But Father, you desire that they be part of the kingdom. They be part of the future with you. We want to help that. We want to do all that we can to bring them in. To not be accepting of what is not right but not be condemning for it either. But to allow them a time to grow, to feed upon the Word of God, that they can overcome the sin that is overtaking them. For we know ourselves that there are some sins we're overtaken with, and we're still growing so that we can overcome them. We need to give them the same, the same help. There are some people who refuse to do what God has said in the area of sin, and God has dealt with them. And they still refuse. Of these, Paul has taught us, don't have fellowship with them. But until you get to a place where you deal with them, we should not be in a place where we are. So help us, Father, to hear from you, to listen, to do the things that are important in your word for growth. Thank you for the help you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.